welcome to a podcast called Intrepid. My name is Leah West, and I'm here for part two of our podcast episodes on the National Cyber Threat Assessment recently published by the Canadian Cyber Center. I'm pleased to be joined today by two members of the team at the Cyber Center. Thank you, Leah. My name is Jean-Philippe Resico. I'm a team lead within the Strategic Assessment Unit within the Cybersecurity Center. My name is Tyler. I'm a strategic threat assessor on JP's team. And I just want to say thanks for having us. It's a real privilege to get to write about threats to Canada, but it's also really cool to know that someone actually reads it. I appreciate you guys coming on. It's great to talk to people who were so hands-on in the development of this report. Our audience is probably familiar with who the communication security establishment is, but they may be less familiar with the Canadian Cyber Centre and its work. JP, I'll just turn to you. Can you remind our audience what the role of the Cyber Center is and what its relationship is with the CSE? The Canadian Center for Cybersecurity is basically Canada's authority on cybersecurity. The center was created essentially using existing units from within Public Safety, Shared Services Canada, and the Communication Security Establishment. With those elements, we constituted what is now called the Canadian Center for Cybersecurity. And it is part of the CSE or the Communication Security Establishment, which has a long history of working on cyber issues and cybersecurity writ large. We at the center are responsible for leading the government's response to cybersecurity events. We protect and defend Canada's cyber assets, working hand in hand side-by-side with the uh, private and public sector to to solve those issues. Our our main mandate is to protect Canadian networks, Government of Canada networks, but we also work uh, closely with outside partners to advise, provide uh, guidance, inform, and especially develop tools to uh, develop solutions and defend Canadian networks writ large. As I mentioned last month, you released publicly your National Cyber Threat Assessment. This was the second version of this threat assessment document. Why is a document like this produced? What is the Cyber Center's intent with this document? Who is the audience? And what are you hoping that Canadians will do or take away once you've published this kind of report? Yeah, NCTA serves many different objectives. The main audience are Canadians writ large, Canadian individuals, Canadian organizations. It's designed to provide an accessible, yet detailed and informative publication on the various complex cybersecurity issues out there and the threats that Canadians and organizations are facing. So the objective there is essentially to try to break down a series of very complex issues into digestible bites for the readers and uh, look forward as well. And that's why it's a threat assessment, essentially, where we take a look towards evolving events over the next, uh, in this case, two years. Beyond that, it becomes extremely difficult to really say something significant or intelligent with regards to evolving cyber threats. The 2020 NCTA was challenging because in many respects, a lot of the threats that we highlighted in 2018 remain quite valid and quite present. So the objective here was to show where we were right on some issues and where emerging issues should be noted to Canadians. So that's the mission of the the NCTA is basically inform and provide a kind of comprehensive 
easily accessible document to a wide audience. And what do you want Canadians to do with this information? Is there an intent or is this, it's up to you, Canada, do what you're going to (laughs) do. Obviously, you're hoping that this will inform certain activities, but this isn't really a toolkit for how to respond to this. You're really just presenting future threats and your audience being so broad, what do you hope to be the result? I think the the first objective is one of the cyber center's missions is to inform, inform Canadians and provide a picture of a very uh, complex environment, essentially. The assessment itself is not prescriptive in the sense that we are not aiming to provide technical solutions or a very specific guidance to to Canadians and Canadian organizations writ large, whether they be from the academic sector, the critical infrastructure sector, or private companies. The assessment is meant first and foremost to paint the picture, but the Cyber Center has a wide series of tools and organizations that will take that following step in terms of providing specific guidance, looking at incidents, and uh, providing mitigating measures. So Our part is basically just to present in an accessible way the various dynamics that are at play in the the cyber threat environment and try to speak throughout the publication to specific parts of the Canadian community. So individuals will find something that would be relevant for them and organizations as well. And what we've done this year with the uh, threat environment is try to show five key trends that will impact everyone. I want to get back to the the five trends, definitely. But Tyler, obviously putting something like this together in an unclassified way for a broad audience, when most of what we think about when we're thinking about threat assessment is done behind closed doors with classified information, stuff that our allies don't want us to share, stuff that is proprietary to CSE. How is putting something like this together unfold? What is that process like? Yeah, that's that's a great question. It's one that we had to ask ourselves many months ago when we started. But like you said, it's it's complex because of how many information sources we have and how many of those we're allowed to share. So we had to start first off by reading the NCTA from two years ago. We had to understand what our own team was thinking two years ago, what the Cyber Center thought was coming, and then try to keep aware of what's changed since then and and the trends that we're seeing in our everyday work. So when you read tons of things, classified and unclassified, my goal is always to boil it down into a paragraph that makes sense to any reader. And the point of NCTA is, is just that. You have to speak to someone who doesn't care about cyber at all, but really likes their iPhone, and also speak to a small business owner or the VP of a large corporation who's in charge of cybersecurity. And so it started with a lot of reading. We read NCTA 2018. My co-author and I, we read all kinds of stuff, anything that's happened from 2018 up till 2020. And we just read and read and read and read and tried to see what things have been changing, what things are coming up. And we just started jotting things down, important trends, important events. And then COVID happened. So that was obviously a a big, important event. And we just tried to collect all of the subjects that seemed to be important and then meet about it and discuss it. Eventually that that gets winnowed down. 
ultimately, as, as JP mentioned, you end up with these these five trends. But I, I presume it's not just Tyler and his co-author that get to decide <laughs> what what ends up as the five key trends and ha- that you're going to communicate that with Canadians. It must be a broader process than just the world according to Tyler. Absolutely. All of that started with my co-author and I, and then immediately to JP and went all the way around the, the building, the government, and we consulted with partners at every stage, at the outline stage, first draft, sections of the draft. And all along, we were talking to other cyber experts to see not only if they agreed on the trends that we saw, but also agreed with the take on the trends, whether it was actually important or unimportant. And it was a really government-wide collective effort that sure was spearheaded by the Cyber Center and eventually came down to our take and our writing. But really, we consulted all around and we were able to see that other people had been thinking about the same issues too. If you have a long list of issues and you talk to 10 people and they all had those issues on their list too, that smart people are paying attention to it. Great. So let's talk about those five key trends that you've identified. What are they and what do you really want Canadians to know that are listening to this podcast? With regards to the the five trends, what we tried to do with this section is basically paint a picture of the threat landscape in terms of, of things that we're seeing evolving and where it would affect all of our, our target audience, if you will, with regards to the NCTA. Now, the, the five trends are broken down in a way to touch on various aspects of what we see as the, the environment itself. And we put them in an order in terms of significance to a, a broadest audience. So we start off with something that's uh, close to everyone's heart in terms of issues with regards to physical safety and how the nexus between cyber and various physical uh, elements or technologies interact and the the risks that might emerge from that, whether they be physical accessories that uh, individuals wear on themselves or to something much broader with regards to critical infrastructure. And if there's a failure on that front, how that might affect the security of Canadians. Now, the other trends focus on specific economic issues, the privacy of accumulated data and the risks that are tied to that should that data become available to organizations or threat actors that would not use it properly. And the fourth element there with regards to the trends, we wanted to be a little bit more explicit on the the rise of threat actors, not only in their number, but in their sophistication as well. There's essentially a broad market of tools and avid purchasers who uh, want to increase their sophistication and technical uh, capability. And we wanted to illustrate that a little bit more uh, clearly with uh, that trend. And lastly, an interesting one is with regards to internet being at the crossroads and with regards to internet governance and online foreign influence. We view these things as as really shaping, in many respects, the, the cyber environment going forward. With regards to internet governance, in this case, 
what we wanted to flag is that there is a, a significant amount of tension about how the internet should be designed, how it should be run, whether it be with regards to the evolution of norms, with regards to the internet, or technical standards. And Canada and its allies and international partners has a very specific notion of how this should go forward, including with working with as broad a community of partners as possible to manage the internet, as has been the case over the last several decades. But others, more authoritarian countries or states would wish to essentially have much more of a, of a hold on the internet, on the data that circulates through the internet. And that creates its, a significant amount of, of issues going forward with regards to, to privacy, with regards to democracy in many respects and how the, the internet users could evolve in that type of context. So there's a tension there that we wanted to bring to uh, the attention of readers. And lastly, online foreign influence. I think I'll let uh, Tyler talk a little bit more about that one because that's an issue that's uh, close to his heart, but it's, it's significantly evolved since the last NCTA. Before we go into that, I found your reference to internet governance really interesting because in itself, it's not a threat actor or a specific threat that we would see manifest in our day-to-day -day lives. But I thought the idea that the balkanization of the internet would create a different landscape and may create down the road different types of threats was really interesting to include because we are seeing such a debate at the international community amongst these two camps between the open internet versus the closed internet amongst the liberal democracies of the world versus the Chinas and the Russians of the world. And to see it included in the cyber threat assessment, I found very interesting because it did take the threat assessment outside of just the Canadian lens and really open it into the international relations, international affairs lens. And I, I was really appreciative of that. And Tyler, foreign influence activities and those who seek to leverage the free exchange of information and ideas really benefit from this free and open internet. So can you talk a bit about what you assess to be the threat of foreign influence going forward? Yeah, absolutely. That's a, a really interesting way to put the question. Because like you said, internet governance and talk around that isn't an explicit threat to any individual Canadians, but we still included it because it can be seen as a threat to what Canada values right, in the multi-stakeholder open internet approach. But like you said, it also leaves some vulnerabilities. When the internet is more free, people can put what they want on the internet. And online foreign influence has changed amazingly in the last four years. Everyone knows the topic of online foreign influence burst onto the scene in the 2016 presidential election in the U.S. And everyone was talking about how incredible it was. Uh, and you brought, up, brought it up last uh, episode, and, and you and Chris Parsons were talking about its impact. And that's the thing we can't measure. We can't measure if online foreign influence worked on anybody. But we have seen an insane increase in the number of countries using it and developing their capabilities quickly. So online foreign influence we assess now is no longer a thing that an adversary ramps up for a key political event. They're no longer just going to say, oh, look, there's an election happening in the US. Let's run a campaign. Now, online foreign influence on social media 
and on fake news websites is occurring all the time. It's constant, ongoing, and the campaigns do adjust to current affairs and comment on events that are in the news and increase during key political events, but they're still constant. Our social media feeds will constantly have posts that are from some foreign government or some cyber organization that's affiliated with a foreign government. And beyond that, more and more countries are doing it, mostly because it's super easy, super anonymous, and super cheap. Even a country that you might not think of as a, as a key cyber adversary still is going to be able to scramble together enough money to build a robot to post a bunch of tweets. So there are varying sophistication levels, but it's really easy for an adversary to get started. And JP, maybe you can speak to how the cyber center sees its role in countering that foreign influence, which is often based on disinformation. Do you see the cyber center as having an increasing role in helping Canadians or Canadian institutions or Canadian government decision makers understand what's truth, what's fact from fiction, what's real opinion versus stuff that's generated online through fake augmentation through bots? Is that the role for the Cyber Center, for CSC going forward? Certainly, uh, we play a part in those efforts, but I would say, first of all, that it's a whole of government uh, effort and, and Cyber Center partners with whether it be law enforcement, such as the RCMP and their endeavors to, to track this down with uh, national security organizations like CSIS, but also uh, GAC, Global Affairs Canada, which uh, plays a large part in tracking and, and looking closely at, at these campaigns and Tied to the, the the elections, this whole of government approach comes together and works together to to look at the security of of the electoral process in Canada and and online influence features prominently in that, and we play a part to attempt to track and counter the online foreign influence efforts that we see. So certainly, the cyber center plays a key role in in those activities. I don't know if you can answer this question, but it's not just foreign influence activity. We're also seeing domestic actors employ these tactics. I, I mentioned this in the last episode. We saw reference to that in the Alberta provincial election in 2019. The fact that the actors may be domestic change your role at all? That's a good uh, question because often foreign actors will use domestic actors to conduct their activities, and, and, and Tyler can, can perhaps uh, speak a little bit to that. And you're right, the cyber threats to the electoral process or democratic activities in Canada goes beyond online foreign influence. Our group has written documents that are available on the Cyber Center website, which, is, which are called the Cyber Threats to Canada. Canada's democratic process. And in that, we look at how cyber threats writ large, including online foreign influence activity, but other types of activities as well, will target voters, political parties, as well as the electoral uh, process itself. Now, in many respects, Canada is well positioned because it's essentially a paper-based elections process and that avoids a lot of issues, but there are obviously several cyber components to that. And we are always working with other partners, notably Elections Canada and Global Affairs Canada, looking at those assessments and we're currently in the process of reviewing them and preparing another 
another assessment, given how COVID and online influence activities in particular has changed the environment. There's always the debate of how effective online influence activities are, as, as was mentioned previously, but we are constantly tracking that. Okay, so you've had a couple of weeks. The National Cyber Threat Assessment made its round through the media. I know I was asked about a number of the headlines grabbing people's attentions, notably that the threat assessment named four state actors in particular, China, Russia, North Korea, and Iran. There was also the assessment that foreign actors were trying to gain access to Canadian critical infrastructure, namely the electric grid. We know all that. Is there a headline that you expected to see that you didn't? Or was there a headline that you did see that surprised you? Yeah, I think you expect headlines to be written about the electricity piece and about the naming actors. The one I saw only a couple times, but I wish as a public service announcement was more prominent, was the headline that cyber criminals are leveraging COVID-19 as a way to target Canadians. I saw it in a couple places, but I think it's the headline that might be most relevant to everyday Canadians reading the news, that in times of global crisis, cyber criminals are becoming adept at adjusting their tactics so that they meet the news of the day. Just like online foreign influence is able to track with current events, so too are cyber criminals. And it's been a real problem. There are all kinds of fake emails, fake text messages, fake entire websites that are meant to look like Government of Canada websites uh, or public health websites that appear to be trying to help Canadians, but ask for information or ask for money with COVID-19 as as the backdrop. And we know that Canadians are feeling more stressed or more anxious or less informed during this time, and we see cyber criminals taking advantage. Luckily, the Cyber Center has been working with partners to take down a lot of these fake websites and social media accounts. I think now they've taken down over 4,000. I don't know if that's the newest number, but it's really something that is hyper prominent ever since March and something that will remain as long as COVID's in the news. Canadians have to be aware that they should be trusting their sources carefully when it comes to COVID. That's a great point, Tyler. JP, anything that you wished would have made the headlines more or that surprised you in the coverage? No, I think Tyler nailed it. To me, this was the main story in many respects of 2020 in terms of COVID-19's impact on the cyber threat environment and how it affects not only individual Canadians, but organizations with regards to threats to intellectual property being targeted by threat actors, both state-sponsored and cyber criminal groups in terms of the, the research and development, some of the policy directives, various elements that are tied to the COVID-19 response that will affect all Canadians. Tied to that, I would say, is the impact with regards to cybercrime and how we're seeing uh, much more sophisticated actors, a plethora of different tools, techniques, and procedures that are being employed by cyber criminal groups. But I'm not surprised in many ways that what really caught the attention is the fact that we actually named state-sponsored actors this time around compared to the 2018 and CTA. But we felt we were in the position to do and that it was useful to inform and warn Canadians that these states have a specific ill intent when it comes to Canadian networks and the data that resides on them. One last lightning round question. 
What is the thing you tell your loved ones, your grandma or your mom or partner about cybersecurity that this is the one thing you must do? And do you think that that one thing has changed since the previous threat assessment? I'll take a first stab at that. What I'd like to, to say to friends and family and, and anyone who'll listen, quite frankly, is be mindful of your data. Be mindful of what you expose out there, what type of applications you use, because tied to that is what is always surprising and quite fascinating to me is how threat actors are developing tools, notably artificial intelligence and sophisticated algorithm to process and sift through huge amounts of data. Now, parts of these data, anonymized data by themselves aren't too revealing, but when you use sophisticated tools and techniques to tie everything together, it creates a very revealing picture of individuals and corporate activity and whatnot. So to me, that would be the main advice is be mindful of the data that you put out there. There's parts that aren't avoidable where you have to be out there. It is 2020 and uh, there are tools that you need, but I think it's important that uh, Canadians be mindful about how they manage and protect that data. I tell my loved ones two important things about cybersecurity. The first is to think before you click. You never know. Look at the email address it's coming from. Hover your cursor over a link so that you can read the URL before you click on it. Uh, and read NCTA 2020, because we've got a, a graphic there that has seven elements that are found in malicious communication. And if Great you spot plot, a few Tyler. of those, <laughs> yeah, if you spot a few of those, don't click on it. It's not worth the risk, even if the email says that you're going to win a free trip. Uh, and the second thing that I say is to update your software. I am just as guilty as other people. I've hit that remind me in 24 hours button dozens of times, dozens of days in a row. But now that I know, I don't do that anymore. Most cyber compromises happen because an actor is taking advantage of the fact that you have an old version of Windows or not updated Chrome or whatever it might be. Uh, if you keep everything up to date, then the companies can do their best to keep you secure too. All right. Update your software. Be wary of your data. Don't click the link for a free boat. Noted. Thank you so much, Tyler, JP, for joining us. And thank you for putting out a report that talks to Canadians about cybersecurity and cyber threats like grownups. I really appreciate it. I find it tremendously refreshing and a really valuable tool. And I look forward to continuing to read great stuff coming out of the Cyber Center. Thank you again for joining us. Have a great holiday season and stay safe. Thank you as well. Thank Lee. you, Lee. It was a pleasure.